From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. How do you save a brand that everyone knows, but not everyone likes? Back in 2014, the toy company Mattel needed an answer to that question, and they needed it fast. Mattel owns popular brands like Hot Wheels and Fisher-Price, but one of its consistently top-selling products has long been Barbie. The tall, blonde doll enjoyed ubiquity for over half a century, but her popularity was slipping. To many people, Barbie had come to represent outdated standards of beauty and gender norms, and sales had dropped 20% in the prior two years alone. So the company called this guy. My name is Richard Dixon. And why did they call Richard? Well, because he had already proven himself at Mattel before. I was with Mattel from 2000 to just at the end of 2009 and had various different roles and responsibilities, but most visibly and probably most well-known for leading the Barbie brand and had a very successful run and, and a, a wonderful chapter driving the brand. I left Mattel I went to a fashion company, which were my original roots in New York, and did that for several years and and then got a call back almost five years later from Mattel inviting me to come back to play. (laughs) Is that how they say it at Mattel or is that just your own? I feel like Mattel should be full of play talk. Yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't quite that playful. Yeah, nobody was feeling playful at Mattel over this. They were in what Richard Dixon calls a real moment of truth about the brand's continued evolution. Like, could Barbie survive this? But he saw a way forward. They would need to double down on the brand's deeper mission and then use that to guide many big changes. So anyway, Richard took the job. He became Mattel's president and COO, and he set about trying to fix Barbie. And fixed it, he and his team have. Since that critical moment, Barbie sales have more than doubled. The brand had its best year ever in 2021 and was on track for more growth in 2022. So I talked with Richard because I wanted to know how he did it and why he says that while evolution makes a brand relevant, purpose makes a brand immortal. How do you turn around a brand as iconic and beloved, but also challenging and to some people, to many people, outdated as Barbie? This episode answers that. It is a conversation with Richard about the four-point playbook that he drew up and that they ran Barbie through. And it's pretty useful for anybody, not just looking to turn around a brand, but to build one too. Coming up after the break. This episode of Problem Solvers is being presented by State Farm. Being a small business owner can be so fulfilling, rewarding, and let's be honest, a little scary from time to time. Doing your own thing and being your own boss is great, but sometimes it can make you feel like you are all alone, especially when things aren't going great. Well, the folks at State Farm want you to know that you are not alone. State Farm has thousands of agents who are small business owners too, so they know what it takes to protect everything you've worked so hard for. State Farm has an assortment of insurance policies for small businesses that can be tailored to your needs. So whether you're a hairstylist, an electrician, or a florist, State Farm agents are ready to help. Learn more and find an agent today at statefarm.com slash business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
All right, we're back talking to Richard Dixon about how he led a turnaround of Barbie at Mattel. Uh, a couple things to note here. Number one is that you can find an edited version of this conversation in the December issue of Entrepreneur Magazine on Stands Now, and also that you are going to hear occasional email dings throughout the conversation. That is not you. You didn't get an email, or maybe you did. I don't know. I don't know your inbox, but uh, you're hearing Richard's inbox, which um, was going nuts the whole time because the man is busy. All right. So we're going to dive in. And first, I asked him to explain what he was seeing when he first came back to save Barbie. Unfortunately, when I did come back to Mattel, it well, there was a lot of good. The Barbie brand specifically had undergone significant challenge. In fact, it was in multiple years of a decline. It was very challenged from a brand equity perspective. The, the scores that were coming back were unfortunately not as good as, as, as they were or as we would have liked. And, and we were in a real moment of truth around the brand's continued evolution, of which the next series of events that took place are really what the ingredients were for what is today a successful legacy turnaround brand. And just, just so we understand the context for the company itself, where does Barbie rank in terms of size, importance of IP in Mattel. Barbie is the single largest brand at Mattel. She also is the number one toy property within the industry, or at least she oh. is today. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about how you get there. So you start to look into the health of the brand and you see some big red flags. Well, certainly the numbers were obvious enough to be concerned, but when you get under the hood of the numbers themselves, what, what was more concerning was our just brand reputation and, and relationship with consumers had eroded. Simply put, Barbie was not as relevant as she had been. She wasn't reflecting what girls saw as aspirational in the world. Aesthetically, she wasn't as meaningful. She didn't have depth as well, was one of the comments. And there were a whole list of others that I, I would say would make any brand owner twitch with concern. And ultimately, it was a call to action where we needed to move from what had been I call a brand monologue where we presented Barbie to consumers and said, this is who she is. This is what she does. There's rules associated with it to a brand dialogue and start to really listen to our consumer, take what our consumer is saying to heart and in mind and filter that through what we believe the brand needed to be and start to execute against that. The result of which all of this, which is now really a great success story is what we call the, the Mattel playbook. And there's, there's four components to the playbook that Barbie really is a, is a great case study for that I can, that I can share with you that, that feels a very, for a very sort of simple methodology that took a lot of work to actually execute to success. But the methodology itself is what I believe were the ingredients for the turnaround of the brand. Where does the Mattel playbook come from? So the, the, you know, the Mattel playbook is how we've kind of packaged narrative around how we drive our brands. And it's, it's real work and real time, but the methodology that we package in the playbook gives people an understanding of actually how we market, manage, and think about our brands. And Barbie is, of course, the, the best case study of it. And I can share with you the playbook itself, which has yeah, really four, four main components. And, and the yeah. first, which is probably the most important and, and pivotal to any brand for that matter, let alone the Barbie brand, is brand purpose. And... This is really probably one of the most important parts of any brand methodology is why do you exist? <laughs> well, what is the origin story that made Barbie so good to begin with? And ultimately, how does that 
become a center so that we have a, a way of operating and deciding what we do and what we don't do. And purpose really does matter, particularly in a brand like Barbie, where you can center everything around its specific purpose. In the case of Barbie, it's inspiring girls' limitless potential and unlocking the imaginations of girls around the world to believe that they can be and do anything. And with that, there's a variety of different triggers that then move brand purpose into what we call design-led insights that study your consumer, understand their wants, and their needs, in some cases, in really developing wants that they didn't know they had associated with the brand. But design-led is a really important part of our methodology, where we study our consumer, their behaviors, what they like, what they don't like. We filter that Seems through our brand again. purpose, you know, what we're about, and then we create product. And it's a, it's a, it is a real methodology that, that was a yeah. pivotal part of the change particularly in Barbie. The third piece of the methodology is what we call cultural relevance, which is exactly what it says, cultural relevance. Once you understand the brand purpose and you've got the product that took the consumer in mind, you then connect it in a way that says, well, how do we now make it part of a cultural conversation? There's no better example than Barbie. I mean, she is a canvas for cultural conversation, but that is an art more than it is a science. Really tapping into you know, what's on trend, who are collaborators that we could work with that fit authentically into our purpose, that complement our narrative, that can be celebrated authentically, and ultimately in marketing as well, different platforms, different methodologies, and how do we make sure that we are in a culturally relevant perception? Barbie in particular is a brand that if you aren't on trend, you're, you're certainly you're dead in the water. If you are too trendy, you might also be too far to where the perception of a brand like ours can be embraced. You have to be right on trend, timeless and timely. And that really is an art and a science combined. And the last piece of the methodology is, is executional excellence. And that's as obvious as it sounds. If you can't execute against a great idea or a great product, then it's nothing but a great idea and a great product that never got out there. Executional excellence is a really important part of the methodology of our playbook, but anybody's playbook in association with great ideas and great product. Got to get them to market, got to present it to consumers in a meaningful way. Lots of partnerships and logistics that go into that. But when you have the orchestration of a playbook that I just outlined working, it creates legendary success. And Barbie's a great case study in the making for that. So that's a powerful way of breaking down how to build any kind of brand and really make it meaningful. Can you take what you just said there and now apply it to what you did with Barbie? Because you gave us the very brief of it there where you walked in mm. and it had lost its cultural relevance. But what were you actually doing and how did you actually start to apply this methodology towards rebooting isn't exactly the right word, but reviving or making as relevant as possible this brand? So one of the things that I've said, and, and we talk a lot about evolution, and, and I think when you're on a brand like Barbie or Hot Wheels or Fisher Price, you as a marketer and as a person within an organization, that, that, that it's a brand that you inherited. So you're constantly trying to evolve the brand. And while evolution makes a brand relevant, purpose makes a brand immortal. And that's really what the beginning of the playbook really zoned in on. And when we got back and we studied our consumer and we studied the business and we saw the declines, we had to return 
back to our original purpose and really understand that our objective, the, the objective of this toy is to inspire the limitless potential of girls around the world. Now, that's not just evolution. That is the beginning of the Barbie narrative. And so if we were building the brand today to inspire girls around the world for their limitless potential, what would we do? What would the brand look like? How would she reflect the inspiration that we want to give girls? Do we want to partner with aspirational women around the world who have achieved extraordinary things? Because if she sees it, she can believe it. And ultimately, the beginning of the turn was around a return to our original brand purpose. From there, it was an easy decision to say, we need to reflect, have Barbie reflect what women and girls see in the world, different body shapes, different ethnicities, different form factors. And so we introduced choice. We kept the original body, of course, of Barbie, but we expanded it with tall and curvy and various other form factors that really reflected how girls see and how women see the world of which we live in. We then introduced in a much more powerful and decisive way ethnicities by introducing over 24 different skin tones and colors that now made Barbie the most diverse and inclusive doll collection in the world. And with that, we then put a marketing methodology behind it that it shared with consumers, particularly parents and caregivers, what's the value of the Barbie play experience when a little girl or a little boy plays with Barbie, what happens? And what happens is it unlocks a world of imagination and possibilities. And so by cultivating and re-educating people around the value of doll play, coupled with an aesthetic reflection of how Barbie is current, that was the original, if you will, ingredients that ultimately got accelerated with success over the course of the next several years. And year after year, compounding that consistent message, never losing sight of our purpose, continuing to drive cultural relevance, not as a goal, but as a pursuit, we have enjoyed years of growth on behalf of the Barbie brand. And probably most proudly, what we really have also done is created a purposeful and meaningful narrative for girls and for people around the world with our brand. We talk about marketing a lot in the context of what marketing is. But in Mattel, we talk about marketing as mattering. And we believe that when you think about marketing in the context of brands that matter, it's a much more interesting and inspirational place that's connecting to consumers today and, and certainly a force for good in the cultural conversation. Richard, how did you navigate the negative perceptions of Barbie? Because what you're describing really addresses a lot of the concerns that drove any negative perception of Barbie a lot around body image and that it represents one style of beauty. And so you're, you are, in one way, you're addressing that by literally just making completely different Barbies, Barbies that reflect a, a far broader range of people. But that could go either way. You could, you could release those and people could say, oh, now you're pandering or now you're... Instead of what you have ultimately achieved is where more people feel reflected in Barbie. Did you directly engage with the negative perceptions of Barbie or did you just let the new work speak for itself, so to speak. How did you do that? Well, we took it head on. I mean, and I think that is probably the, the bravery of the organization and the people who, particularly at that time, facing a reality that the brand and the fan base had lost faith in what was this iconic 
pop culture icon and and really opening up the skill set of listening. There are a lot of brands, and certainly we were one of them, when you're the size that you are and you've inherited the brand from founders that even aren't here, you tend to gravitate towards what was and try everything that you can to make it meaningful for today. But you gravitate to what was and there's a fear of changing it for fear of change and change is sometimes scary. Uh, But in our case, our consumers shared their perception, was reflecting in a business that was downtrending And we had no choice but to really listen, be empathetic with people's perceptions of the brand, and then work hard to figure out how to take the best of what was Barbie, the true original intent, listening to what the current conversation was around the brand and taking the big leaps forward. We also recognized that there are and were Barbie lovers, and we wanted to make sure that those Barbie lovers loved us more. There were people who liked Barbie, and we looked at those that group. And we said, we want the like to turn to love, neutral to turn to like. And there are Barbie haters and we're not going to get too distracted with them. Haters may always be haters. If we can move them to neutral or like, good for us, but we need to be strong in our own conviction around who we are and what our purpose is. And hopefully there'll be more people who like and love us than people who want to criticize us. I will also say we engaged a lot of people along the way who helped shape the narrative. Various different consultants and advisors, whether they were brought to us very specifically to sound check cultural concerns, ethnicity, expertise, various different people who represented the authenticity of the portrayal of an inclusive and diverse doll. That was much more important for us to get right and to be so that the substance behind our turnaround and our mattering in the world would be one that we could be proud of and ultimately rely upon. As you're talking about all this, I'm thinking back to the point that you made earlier about how succeeding with Barbie is really a matter of throwing an unbelievable bullseye because you can't be too attached to the past and past cultural norms, but you also can't be too forward and be out ahead of culture. You have to really strike that balance. And so in all of what you're describing now that there's some way to kind of tangibly understand what you're talking about, how did you check yourself? And when I say, you know, obviously, how did you and the team check where Barbie was and where you were bringing her in this moment? so that you're on point, not behind the point, not ahead of the point. I wish I could tell you there was a silver bullet to that. And I think I talk a lot about this business and the business of of keeping brands relevant, certainly Barbie as the case study, that it is a blend of of art and science. There is a degree of, look, you, you could have all the extraordinary insights and data in the world, but it's what you do with it. It's insights into action. And the what you do with it, in most cases that I have seen, and I can tell you in Barbie's case, it's the art that ultimately drove Barbie's success story with the insights that led to the challenging conversations and decisions that we needed to make as a leadership. And it became very clear for us in all of the noise, a double-digit declining business, insights that were coming back really negative. But when you return to the brand's purpose, when you understand that brands that are based an idea that's bigger than the product itself can have staying power for generations. 
And arguably, when we looked at why, despite all of the challenges that Barbie had, was she still around for generations? It's because she was a breakthrough concept to begin with that was purposeful. And a lot of brands start out with a potential breakthrough and they flame out. But purpose-built brands, again, brands that are based on an idea that's bigger than the product, truly have the capability for staying power. And today, consumers want brands that they can believe in. And our team's dedication to brand purpose on Barbie, I believe, you know, future-proofs us just a little more every day. And I can tell you as, as a leader in a company that has legacy. I often say we inherited these brands and it is up to us as the leaders of these important brands that truly matter in the world to leave them better than we found them and to cultivate them to be meaningful in the world so that the next generation of leaders can take what we give them and and make it matter even more. And so while it is a toy business and it is all about fun and we love we love the meaning of this business, we, we take brands like Barbie very seriously in a world that we believe she matters in and that she can be an important force of, of good. It's serious fun. Richard. <laughs> it's serious fun, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking us into this process. This is super, super informative. My pleasure, Jason. Thank you for, uh, for having me. And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.